fun to see all those kids having fun and adults having fun with them. What a significant ministry Awana is. And if you want to get in on that, you can mark your connection card or, or contact Tim, as you saw there. That'll be helpful. As we get started, I uh, just want to say uh, thanks for praying for our family. It's been kind of a weird uh, couple of weeks around our house, but uh, appreciate your prayers and asking about uh, our kids. And, and uh, yeah, keep, keep it up. Keep praying, but uh, things are, are looking up. Thank you. One of the dumbest movies that I've ever experienced is a comedy from 1996 entitled Kingpin. Hopefully you have not experienced it yourself. In the movie, uh, the hero, played by Woody Harrelson, reaches out to an Amish young man, played by Randy Quaid, uh, to convince him to, to step out of the safety net of the Amish community he grew up in and experience the world outside. And his plan is to run around with a group of professional bowlers, I told you it was a stupid movie. Uh, and, and to lead a life of debauchery. And, and the film has nothing to commend itself to you or to me, but it does take part of its premise from a uh, kind of a fascinating piece of Amish culture. Uh, how many have heard of the word rumspringa? Uh, yeah, so you could pretend like this is new information uh, here in a minute, but uh, act interested. Uh, so rumspringa, it literally means running around. And it's a word that is used to describe this Amish practice of allowing youth to, to sow their wild oats, if you will. And not every Amish community does this, but the ones that do allow this freedom for kids around 14 to 16 years of age. And the freedom grants these teenagers permission to leave the community on the weekends uh, to and experiment with the world outside in whatever way they choose. So they might try driving an automobile, like a vehicle with more than one horsepower, right? Uh, or they might try listening to the radio. Uh, or they might get a little more adventurous and make some really foolish decisions and, and stuff like that. So Rumspringer comes with this understanding that uh, when you, the youth come back, they have a choice to make. They can choose to engage, to be baptized into the Amish church and to stay in the community, or they can leave the community permanently, turn their back on their family and go out and live in the world for good. Now, looking around, uh, I think I'm safe to say that nobody here is Amish. There's no horse-drawn buggies out in the parking lot, but, uh, but it doesn't stop us from engaging in some, some rumspringa of our own. You know, I know we have other names for it. We might call it freshman year, or we might call it uh, girls' getaway weekend, or we might call it midlife crisis that results in buying a Harley without my wife's permission springa, right? <laughs> Uh, I've had my own rumspringa moments. I know you have too, and maybe you're in a rumspringa kind of a season right now, running around, dabbling with things you really shouldn't be engaged in, a little here, a little there, right? Well, this morning, we're continuing our series, The Storyteller, and throughout the summer, we've been exploring different parables of Jesus. Uh, Jesus had a way of telling stories that both conceal the truth and reveal the truth. And sometimes the stories he tells are so piercing, so clear, they highlight in a fresh way the kinds of things that are so valuable to Jesus. Uh, think, for example, of the story of the Good Samaritan. It's such a great story. It's better than a than hundred sermons on helping people in need. Jesus just cuts right to the heart. And he's a master storyteller. His stories have the ability to just speak to us in some really strong ways. So I'm excited to share uh, another parable with you this morning. And this morning, as we continue our series, I want us to look at a very short parable from Matthew chapter 21. You can start finding that in your Bible, Matthew 21. 
And as you look for that, this parable is, is short, only five verses long. But it's, it's such a short story, but it has a turning point, this moment of turning that's at the heart of the story. And that's what I want us to focus on today. And so, so we're going to read the parable together. It's known as the parable of the two sons. Jesus is talking to some religious leaders of Israel and when he launches into this parable. And I'm going to read from a, a translation we don't normally use, the NASB. I'll explain why in just a bit, but you'll see it on the screen, so you can follow along in your own Bible and spot the differences, or you can just look on the screen. So Matthew 21, starting in verse 28. But what do you think? A man had two sons, and he came to the first and said, Son, go work today in the vineyard. And he answered, I will not. But afterward he regretted it and went. The man came to the second and said the same thing, and he answered, I will, sir, but he did not go. Which of the two did the will of his father? They said, the first. Jesus said to them, truly I say to you that the tax collectors and prostitutes will get into the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and prostitutes did believe him. And you, seeing this, did not even feel remorse afterwards so as to believe him. Jesus has some strong words for these religious leaders. And as we explore these words, I think it's helpful to get just a little bit of the context of this parable. Uh, For one thing, this is Jesus' last week before he's crucified. He knows his time is short. He doesn't have time to waste. He gets right to the point. He knows that these religious leaders have already rejected him, just like uh, Paul shared. They're the the builders that have rejected the cornerstone. Uh, They've made the decision about him. And if it were me... I would just cut my losses on these guys. You know, that's just me. I'm a little too quick to write people off sometimes. But Jesus is better than that. He's smarter than me. So he doesn't give up on these guys. He he knows, uh, he he keeps talking to them. He knows that he's going to keep interacting with them, keeps holding out hope that they're going to change their minds about him, about Jesus, that they would repent. So he, he, he keeps talking to them, and he speaks very frankly. He knows there's no time to waste with these guys. And in fact, this parable is a response to a question that they've just asked. If you look a few verses back, verse 23, you could see they asked Jesus a question. They've been watching Jesus teach and perform miracles, and they say, by what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? Well, Jesus, he doesn't answer their question directly. He answers their question with a question. Verse 24, Jesus said to them, I will also ask you one thing, which if you tell me, I will also tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John, was that from what source? From heaven or from men? Well, these guys talk about it amongst themselves. They phone a friend. They call in Lifeline, but they still don't come up with a good answer. I mean, they know the truth, but they can't admit it because it would expose them as the hypocrites that they really are. So they kind of waffle around a bit, and finally they say, we don't know. And that's when Jesus hits them with the one-two punch. And he tells them this parable, and he tells them a second parable right away while they're still thinking about this first one. So this parable, it's really the, the left jab before the knockout punch that is the next parable. You can read that this afternoon if you want. But, but the key in this parable is this, this turning point. I told you there's a turning point that's at the heart of this parable. And Jesus tells us right at the beginning what this turning point is really all about. Look how the parable starts off. He says, but what do you think? So the turning point has to do with, with thinking, with our, our mindset, with having the right mindset. And thinking is an important idea all throughout this parable, specifically changing the way we think. 
Jesus wants these Pharisees to to change their mind. He hasn't given up on them. And I want us to notice that this idea of of changing our mind shows up a lot in this very short parable. Let's look at it again, only this time I want to show it to you in the, the NIV translation, what we normally use on Sunday morning. So take a look at how the thinking shows up here. Verse 28. What do you think? Again, that's how Jesus starts off with thinking. There was a man who had two sons. He went to the first. He said, son, go and work today in the vineyard. I will not, he answered. But later he changed his mind and went. That's the, the first place this big idea shows up. Then the father went to the other son and said the same thing. He said, I will, sir, but he did not go. Which of the two did what his father wanted? The first, they answered. Jesus said to them, truly, I tell you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. For John came to you to show you the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes did, and even after you saw this, you did not repent. That's that same idea, changing your mind. You did not repent and believe him. So so changing your mind shows up in two key places here. The first son changes his mind, and then he ends up being obedient to the father. That's one place it shows up. And then at the end of the parable, Jesus tells these religious leaders they haven't repented. They haven't changed their minds about Jesus, so they're condemned. So in a sense, this whole parable is about changing your mind. And you see in this translation that the idea of changing your mind is is synonymous with the idea of repentance. And if you've grown up in the church or you've been in church a long time, you might know that the word, the the biblical word that's repent, is is a fascinating word because it comes from a Greek word. The original uh, New Testament was written written in Greek. Uh, Repent comes from a Greek word metanoia, metanoia. And, And metanoia is an interesting word because it literally means a change of mind. And when the Bible talks about repentance or, or conversion, these big words that are so important to Christians, this metanoia is really the word that sits behind those ideas. And so this, this biblical idea of repentance, of coming to faith, is really important, and it comes down fundamentally to just changing your mind. Repentance was at the heart of Jesus' message, all of his teaching. If you look way back at the beginning of Matthew, we see this this summary of Jesus' ministry. It says, from that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. From that time on, that was Jesus' core message, repent, change your mind. And in this parable, it mentions John the Baptist, and repentance was a key part of his message too. Matthew chapter 3 says, In those days, John the Baptist came, preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. So they both have the same message, and repentance, changing your mind, is right at the heart of it. Repentance, at its core, is recognizing that you thought wrongly in the past and determining that you're going to think Differently in the future, you're going to change the way you think. You have, you have second thoughts about your life. You know, maybe you used to feel like God doesn't exist, but you changed your mind. Something happened in your life and you came to realize the truth. And maybe you woke up from your own rumspringa moment and you finally realized what's most important to you. In another week, we're going to kick off what we call No Longer Strangers. You've, you've heard about that, people coming and sharing their stories. Really what they're sharing is their stories of, of repentance, of changing their mind about Jesus. And in this parable, Jesus tells these religious leaders that the tax collectors and prostitutes encountered Jesus, and they converted. They believed. They changed their mind. They repented. But these religious leaders have not. So Jesus tells this parable about the the son who says one thing and then he changes his mind and does another. It's a parable ultimately about 
repentance, about metanoia, changing your mind. But there's only one problem. Repentance, metanoia, doesn't show up in this parable. I had to start off reading from a different translation today, the NASB, because it highlights something in this parable that's very important. It's very important because it's a very pervasive and a very dangerous way of thinking about repentance. So I want us to look at the parable one more time in the NASB, and hopefully you'll see what I mean. Here it is again. But what do you think? A man had two sons, and he came to the first. He said, son, go work today in the vineyard. And he answered, I will not. But afterward, he regretted it and went. Notice, it's a different word here. Not, uh, not change of mind, but regret. The second place this occurs down in the end of verse 32. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and prostitutes did believe him. And you, seeing this, did not even feel remorse. Again, notice the difference here. Didn't feel remorse afterwards so as to believe him. So see, there's a couple of differences. This translation uses the words regret and remorse, not repent. It's a very important distinction because this is what it comes down to. Metanoia, repent, is not the word that's used here. The, the Greek word, it's, it's both these verses. It's not metanoia, but it's really close. It's metamelomai. There's not going to be a quiz on that. Metamelomai. It sounds like metanoia, but it's different. It's a, it's a passive form. And just like metanoia has to do with your mind, with thinking, but in this case, it's thinking about yourself. It means to regret. You, you've thought about yourself, you thought about your life, your actions, and you feel bad. You feel remorse or regret. But it's not necessarily regret that leads to repentance. It's not regret because you feel like you've done something wrong. It's regret because things just didn't turn out the way that you really wanted them to. It's like a thief who gets caught stealing and feels regret, not because he's come to the conclusion that stealing is a sin, but because he got caught. He feels regret, right? The son, in Jesus' parable, he feels regret maybe because he just let his father down. Or maybe he just doesn't want to face the consequences of not going to work, getting griped at or whatever. Or maybe he's just bored and decides that going to work is better than standing around and doing nothing. My son is five, and he's very active. He's so active, he sometimes gets ahead of himself. He, he acts before he thinks, and he gets in trouble. And when he gets in trouble, he always feels this, metamelomai. He feels regret. Instantly, he says, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Well, he's not feeling remorse over sin. He's just sad that he got in trouble and has to take a time out, right? We've all been there. So maybe you're thinking to yourself, okay, well, what's the difference? Regret, remorse, repentance. But I told you, this is a pervasive and very dangerous way of thinking. So I'm going to tell you the difference, and then I'll show you. Repentance, metanoia, represents a a change in a person, a moral change, an inward change. It's lasting. It's the idea of of walking in the wrong direction and stop, and then you start walking in the right direction. There's a a change that goes along with it. Regret, metamelomai, it's convenient, it's selfish, it's temporary change. It's change that only benefits the person and and not really anybody else. It's, It's realizing you're going in the wrong direction, and so you stop but you don't actually do anything to start going in the right direction. That's the difference. And now let me show you. This word, metamelomai, regret, it's the word that's used to describe Judas. After Jesus is arrested and killed, Judas, who betrayed him for the price of 30 pieces of silver, feels regret. Look at Matthew 27, verse 3. When Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that Jesus was condemned, he was seized with remorse. 
And he returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders. So Judas didn't experience repentance. He didn't reunite himself with the disciples so that he could experience all the joy of the resurrection. If so, Jesus certainly would have welcomed him back, even after all he had done. But Jesus only felt, or Judas only felt regret. Strong regret, so strong he calls it remorse. So strong he returns the money that he earned. But it's not repentance. He's still only thinking of himself. So there's a big and a very important difference. And this is a terribly common but terribly dangerous way of thinking. I mean, how many times have you and I been in the wrong? We've done something wrong, maybe something big, maybe something little, and we realize it's wrong, so we stop. But we also stop short of repentance. The big problem that we have with repentance is that too many of us are like Judas. Or if you prefer, we're like John Candy. Maybe you've seen the movie Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. It's a silly comedy in which two guys, Steve Martin and John Candy, are trying to make it back home in time for Thanksgiving, and they end up driving all night, and, well, something bad happens. Take a look at this. Joker wants to race. Race? That's ridiculous. All right, come on. Let's go. Let's go. Put your window down! He wants something. Uh, He's probably drunk. You're going the wrong way! What? You're going the wrong way! He says we're going the wrong way. Oh, he's drunk. How would he know where we're going? Yeah, how would he know? Thank you. Thanks a lot. Terrific. Thank you. (laughs) What a moron. You're going in the wrong direction. You're going to kill somebody. That's a silly movie, but on some level, we're all a little bit more like John Candy's character than we like to admit. We think we're going the right way. We think everybody else is crazy for thinking we're going the wrong way. And then one day, you finally wake up. You come to your senses. You look behind at all the wreckage that you've made with all your bad decisions, and you're filled with regret. And now you've got a choice about how you're going to respond. And in this parable, Jesus points out these religious leaders haven't responded to him with repentance. In fact, they haven't even responded 
with regret. Look at verse 32 again. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and prostitutes did believe him, and you, seeing this, did not even feel remorse so as to believe him. So what about you and me? Have we experienced repentance, a true change? Or maybe when we sin, we just feel regret. Things don't work out in our life the way we want, and we feel bad. Maybe we feel our regret so strongly, we call it remorse. And I'm not just talking about the, man, I used to live like this, and then I became a Christian, and now I live like this. I'm talking about day-to-day dealing with sin, the, the heart condition that we all have that makes us faithful to ourselves and unfaithful to everybody else. We know we need help addressing sin. We know we need something beyond ourselves. But do we just experience regret or do we experience true repentance? Do we just feel bad about that relationship we ruined or those words we spoke in anger that we can't take back? Or are we grieved knowing that those choices led to Jesus being crucified, suffering for us? Have we truly repented? Not just stopped going the wrong way, but turning around to go the right way. In this parable, Jesus teaches a very important truth about repentance, something that we get dangerously wrong. We want to live in that place of regret, but Jesus calls us to something so much better, something beyond regret or remorse. He calls us to true repentance. And in this parable, he shows us what lies at the heart of the difference. Because I told you, even though this parable is very short, there's this turning point. The turning point is repentance. And at that heart, true repentance is demonstrated by a change in actions. So we change our minds, and our actions demonstrate that that change is real. In the parable, this first son, he's approached by the father. He refuses to go and work. Later, he regrets that, and he does. He goes to work. He does the will of the father. John the Baptist taught we should produce fruit in keeping with repentance. So there should be fruit, changed actions, something to show for it. So just as the obedient son went to work and had something to show for it, so should we in our spiritual lives. True repentance produces fruit. In the same way, towards the very end of his ministry, the Apostle Paul summarizes his whole life, what he's focused his life on, and he says this, I preached that they should repent, turn to God, and demonstrate their repentance by their deeds. So the full biblical definition of repentance is a a change of mind that results in a change of action. The change of action, that's the key. The the turning point for the son in this parable is the same turning point for us, that true repentance shows up in our lives as a change in action. So as we wrap our minds around true repentance, let me leave us with a warning and two encouragements. First, the warning. We should all be mindful of living like Judas. Just as Judas failed to repent, but he only regretted his sin, we've got to be careful that we respond to sin fully. True repentance, turning away from sin and turning towards Jesus. Because Judas, he was full of remorse. Remorse so deep it eventually drove him to suicide. And in that remorse, he could have repented. He could have avoided such a tragic outcome. He could have turned away from sin and then turned towards Jesus. Instead, he tried to overcome and reconcile the sin by paying it back. 
He returned that blood money thinking that by his own efforts he could undo the harmful work of his sin. So the warning for us is don't try to deal with sin on your own. You and I can't pay the price for something that Jesus has already paid for. Repentance should draw us away from sin and then towards the one who took on sin on our behalf. Repentance should carry us towards reassurance. Reassurance that we are still loved by God, still forgiven by Jesus, still guided by the Holy Spirit. So don't allow regret to drive us to try to pay for sin on our own. So that's the warning. And now some encouragement. Repentance, turning towards Christ, should send us out away from sin. It should send us out in obedience to God. In this parable, the obedient son is the one who goes. He goes to work for the Father, and that should be our response to God as well, to to go out in obedience to him wherever he leads. But going, following God can be scary. We talked about that last week. So the encouragement is simply this. God can handle your fear. It's okay to be afraid as long as you go. God is gracious to people who go even when they're afraid. Listen to these encouraging words from the author Terry Linhart. God tells story after story of people who didn't go, at least not right away. Jonah, Peter, John Mark, David, Gideon, Moses, they're all people who didn't go right away. And Jesus, aware of how humans are, asks which of two sons honored his father's will to work in a vineyard. Was it the one who refused at first and then went, or the one who said he would go, but he didn't? The answer simply is the one who finally obeyed. God works with fearful people who are willing to take steps to follow him, even in the face of internal fears. So repentance should send us out in obedience, carried by the reassuring love of God through Christ. And Jesus tells his disciples right away to think of fear, uh, tells us the right way to think of fear, excuse me, when we want to take steps of obedience. Terry Linhart goes on to say this. Here's what Jesus did to help his disciples with the fear of failure. In Matthew 10, he's sending out the 12 in teams of two. He tells them where to go and what to say. And then he says, if anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, leave that place. So Jesus lets them know that people will reject them, and this is not failure. He talks about being taken to court, and this is not failure. He says that people will hate them because they hate him, and this isn't failure. The failure would be to not go where he sends them. So we walk towards God, we walk in obedience, and we trust God with the results. Obedience over outcome. Repentance is a step that demonstrates our trust in God. We can trust him to handle our sin, to handle the parts of us that we don't even want other people to know about. That should help us overcome fear and live in obedience. The fact that God knows everything about us, and he still loves us anyway. When we turn towards God, we demonstrate that we're not afraid. We walk towards a loving Father in obedience who wants what's best for us and and wants to guide us into that. So the first encouragement is simply that God can handle fear. As you step out in obedience, turning to Jesus in every aspect of your life, he can meet you where you are. And the second encouragement I have for you is simply this. You can draw a line in the sand. I was talking to our staff a while back about the Alamo. Remember the Alamo? 
Growing up in Texas, it was quite a source of pride because a group of soldiers fought bravely for Texas independence. And, and there came a moment when they were badly outnumbered. There was a stronger, bigger army surrounding their little outpost, the Alamo. And they had a decision to make, surrender or fight. Well, maybe you feel like that with your sin. Maybe you face the same temptation every day and you fail every day. No matter how hard you try, you just can't stop eating donuts. Or you can't stop looking at those websites that you know you shouldn't be looking at. And no matter how hard you try, you can't stop lashing out in anger. Maybe you feel like you're badly outnumbered and you're just losing hope. You're never going to change. My encouragement to you is don't give up. Don't surrender. When the soldiers in the Alamo faced that choice, surrender or fight, they were all gathered together and their commander, William Travis, drew out his sword and drew a line in the sand. And all those who were prepared to fight crossed that line. So my encouragement to you is to draw a line in the sand. Keep fighting sin. Learn true repentance. Not just surrender that leads to regret, the same cycle over and over and over again, but draw a line in the sand that says you're turning towards Jesus. Because guess what? You can't win this fight on your own. No matter how hard you try, you will still fail every time. Only Jesus has the power to defeat sin. So draw a line in the sand. Turn towards Jesus. And just like this parable, let it show up in your life. A change of mind that leads to a change of actions. Throughout the history of the Christian faith, people have used baptism as one way to draw a line in the sand. To say, I have turned towards Jesus and I won't turn back. So maybe that's a choice you need to make. And maybe for you, you've got a different line in the sand. Maybe for you, the line is to stop isolating yourself. I mean, sin lives in the darkness. So bring yourself into the light, the light of relationships and community. Maybe for you, you need to stop hiding in this room and get connected to this church family. Uh, get connected to a small group or to our men's or women's ministry. Maybe you need to surround yourself with fellow Christians who are going to support you and come alongside you. Maybe that's the line you need to draw. So that's my warning and my two encouragements for you. Don't be like Judas, trying to pay for sin on your own. Instead, turn towards Jesus. Not just regret, but true repentance. And be willing to go where he leads. Don't hide your fear from God. Be honest with him. Finally, draw a line in the sand. Take one of these steps, getting connected to a community or getting baptized, and, and let us help you. If you want to take a step, you don't even know what step to take, mark your connection card, and we'd love to help you out with that. At the Alamo, after they drew this line in the sand, everybody made the decision to fight, to cross that line. No surrender. They all made a decision to fight, but guess what? They all died. And the same fate awaits each of us. True repentance is is death, dying to yourself so that you can find life in Jesus, life that's truly life, life in him that is eternal and better than any life we might have on our own apart from him. So cross that line. Choose life. Choose true repentance and let it show up in your actions. Let's pray. God, we have our hearts turned towards you. We want to have our minds and our actions turned towards you as well. We know that there are things in our life that uh, 
we feel like we're caught in a, a hamster wheel, a cycle of sin and regret, and then more sin and more regret and more sin and more regret. And we don't want to live in that cycle anymore. We want to move from regret to true repentance, Lord. And we thank you that you've shown us the difference this morning and pray that you would uh, show us how to change our hearts, to change our minds, to change our actions so that we are not just regretting, not just stopping sin, but also turning towards you and, and starting a new life with you each and every day. We praise you for the, the way that you meet us where we are and guide us towards true life and true repentance. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.